Hello, and welcome back to Federal Insight, a podcast of OA On Air. It's been 87 days since the Senate passed by a vote of 69 to 30, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The bill was the product of President Biden's infrastructure framework, led by a bipartisan group of 22 senators who split the package among several working groups to draft the text. Last Friday, the House finally passed the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, reauthorizing surface transportation and providing for $550 billion in new federal funding for infrastructure spending over five years. A mere 85 days later, we once again have the pleasure of catching up with former Congressman Nick Rahal to discuss the past bill, the next steps for Build Back Better, the remaining legislative calendar business, and a number of other things. Congressman Ray Hall is the longest-serving House member from the state of West Virginia and was ranking member of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. As the longest-serving member of the House T&I Committee, he was a leader in every federal highway debate since coming to Congress in 1977. Please enjoy. Well, good morning. Hello, everyone. Thanks good for morning. joining. We're here with... Uh, John Cahill, our vice chairman of O'Neill and Associates, Andy Pavin, who is, you know, O'Neill and Associates and from Seven Letter, our PR firm. And obviously also um, it's been 85 days, I think, since we've last seen you. But thank you, former Congressman Ray Hall, for joining us as well. Great to be here. <laughs> so we said we would reconnect after they passed the uh the infrastructure bill. I don't think we thought it was going to take this long. I think we truly thought it would be wrapped up in September, but clearly there's been a lot that's been happening. Um, what's very interesting is that I can only imagine the number of years between the three of you and the number of highway reauthorizations that you have all been a part of from FAST Act to T21, MAP21, Safety Lou, others. Um, I'm very curious, looking back at those other reauthorizations and now what's been happening in a very public manner and that everyone is kind of watching how this process is unfolding to a degree that they never had before and not even under Obama that recently. It's really been something that's been happening the last couple of years that, you know, everything as far as all these very tense negotiations you know, things that are happening on the floor, things that are happening in the social media space. It all kind of came to a head Friday night last week um, and resulting in all this, all the factious, factions in the House, certainly between moderates and progressives, uh, Democrats kind of came to a head and they, they had an agreement. I'm sure Speaker Pelosi was very much involved with that and her senior leadership in the White House, but they came to an agreement and they moved forward on the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. They did that vote, and they also moved on a procedural vote for the um, taking up the rule for Build Back Better. But what was also interesting is that there's some unusual things that happened, including an agreement of these five Democrats who said that they would agree uh, to go forward on Build Back Better if and when the CBO score uh, aligns with the White House analysis on that bill for how it would be paid for in the overall cost. I'm just curious, what do you think things like these agreements or 13 Republicans voting for this bill? I mean, what does this really mean as far as the state of play for current negotiations and trying to get uh, Build Back Better done, and then certainly trying to wrap up the remainder of the, the legislative calendar? 
What do you think, Nick? You, you, you've, been well, hanging, you've been hanging out with Joe Manchin over there. So, you know, let's, <laughs> let, let me say uh, one thing. This is certainly a testament to Speaker Pelosi's abilities to uh, get what she wants. Uh, the old saying, never count Nancy Pelosi out, proved true here. Uh, it's been a rough and tumble road, you know, to use a worn out phrase. There's two things you never want to see being made. One is sausage and the other is laws. Uh, that That's certainly proven true here. It's been messy and it's going to continue to be messy. Uh, it's nothing uh, uh, new, except it is new. Uh, you, you mentioned, Jen, all of the past infrastructure bills, uh, yes, I served on every conference on infrastructure and transportation uh, since coming to the Congress under my first speaker, Tip O'Neill, in 1977. Uh, but we've always had bipartisan support for these infrastructure bills. Uh, and, and we ended up having bipartisan support here. We got 19 senators, Republican senators, that is, including Mitch McConnell, to vote for this infrastructure package. Mm -hmm. We had 13 Republicans in the House, including including one of our three Republicans in our congressional delegation, David McKinley, right. to his credit, voted for this infrastructure package. Uh, I give him high marks uh, for such a vote. Uh, Shelley Moore Capito joined with Senator Manchin on the Senate side. They worked closely together and got that bipartisan bill through the Senate, now through the House, now uh, to be signed into law any day if it's not already been signed into law. So uh, this has been messy, yes, but uh, the American people will benefit as they have from previous infrastructure transportation bills. Uh, they're gonna benefit from this. And I probably, probably we're gonna see Republicans that voted against it, be there when the ribbons are cut. Yeah. Just yeah. like in the past, yeah. just like in the past on infrastructure bills, they'll vote against it, they'll preach against it, but by golly, they'll be there when the ribbons are cut, <laughs> if their shovels are turned over. Yeah. Right, right. What What do you think uh, in terms of dispersing? I mean, we've read a little bit about this in the last 24 hours, of, and Andy should jump in here since he was at Federal Highways, but the, the challenge of now, all right, it's passed, how quickly can we actually get projects going, spending the money, moving the money around? Uh, I mean, I have some opinion myself about the challenges of that, but I want to throw that out there because obviously the White House has taken it full in hand to uh, travel the country and say, this is a great thing. So what what do we do? What happens? Well, it's important for them to go out and, and sell this. It's only been talked about as, you know, and you've heard other people say this, it's only been talked about as spending, not about the end result, not about the finished product that will, that, you know, that will be created that will improve people's lives and will provide a lot of jobs in so doing. But you're absolutely right. This kind of spending takes time. You mm -hmm. need project approvals. Uh, you need to procure, you know, designs. You need to get contractors lined up. It will take time. And, you know, we talked, we talked a little bit last time about the difference between previous reauthorizations, just the making of any legislation, to be honest. And today where it used to be done 
outside of the spotlight, outside of the public view. And there are some benefits to that. There are, there were, you know, there were issues with it that, that, that many people cited because the question of who was represented inside the room was always a question and that's real and that that's important to have adequate, you know, appropriate and adequate representation of all people inside the room. But, you know, Nick, yeah, this is, it wasn't pretty to watch by keeping a spotlight on every initiative, every conversation back and forth between interested parties on the Hill, whether it was the moderates or the progressive or the Republicans or the Senate and the House. And I, it, it'll continue to be like that. It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an odd place for many elected officials in the Republican Party to be in, in opposition to this because you're continuing to be in opposition to things that will provide improvements for your voters. Um, yeah. and provide right. jobs for your voters. And like right. I said, that'll take some time. Um, but, you know, it was telling that, that Majority Leader McConnell yesterday back in Kentucky called the bill a, a godsend for the people of Kentucky. Oh, I missed godsend. that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because there's a lot of infrastructure that's, that's needed in Kentucky and that'll help people. But yeah, was as far Paul as... With it, him? <laughs> What's that? Didn't see him in the pic. Didn't see him in the shots. Yeah. What a shock. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, it's an odd place. I mean, you've seen it. I, I, I mean, I think it's important. We talk about the, the substance of this bill rather than the, some of the, not just the politics around it, but you know, the idea that there were conversations within the Republican caucus of the house to strip committee chairmanships right. from members who voted for things like new roads and bridges or transit systems in their congressional districts. I, yeah. you know, unheard of to me. And I haven't been around as much as either you, John, or you, Nick, but uh, just kind of stunning. Yeah, it is, it is remarkable. And you wonder how many more times that will happen over the next year not just in this case, but potentially other cases. I mean, they have to, as we all know, we still have to get to appropriations here. We still have to either get to, to the individual ones or the omnibus. That's a whole other kettle of fish, you know, and, and they haven't have to go off on the tangent of, of appropriations, but they haven't reached the top line agreement on what they're gonna spend. Even though I must say our dear friend, Dick Shelby, Senator Shelby is, I guess earmarked something like $152 million for Alabama already <laughs> without having any agreement, <laughs> but uh, he's exceptional. You and know. put out an opposing statement on the bill, but that's okay. That's fine. Yep. Strange. <laughs> yep. Strange. I guess um, back to the substance of this and looking at other reauthorizations, I think that you know, there's some comparisons to this being, you know, the, the the new deal of our century or of our time, that this is a, the full effects of this. It's not just a ton of money or trillions of dollars. It's really going to have an effect and affect your lifetime and affect how you maybe go to work and, you know, electrical charging stations. And there's certainly now a, a climate change and an effect on the environment now that is taken into consideration that I don't think previously was in other reauthorization. So just kind of looking back at, at previous works like that, I mean, do you think that we fully understand the scope of this and what this can do for us and how we could really you know, seize the moment? I don't think we 
fully today realize the scope of this legislation. Uh, you've accurately described it as transformational, and it truly will be. Uh, but it's not going to be today or tomorrow. It's going it's to take some time. But when you look at the numbers, and I'm the world's worst on numbers, but uh, I believe this is uh, bigger than uh, FDR's New Deal. I mean, th this is the biggest spending package in history, if I'm accurate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so uh, that, that's going to mean something. It's going to mean something good for the American people. Uh, and Andy's accurately described how long it's going to take before uh, the rubber hits the road, so to speak, uh, before we see the actual uh, projects benefiting the American people. I just hope they'll have the patience. I believe they will, uh, because, uh, again, this is something that is going to transform the way uh, we live. And mm -hmm. it's going to trickle down and it is going to have a positive impact to every home, every citizen uh, in this country who wants to see a better life for themselves, their children and their grandchildren. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be very transformational on the scope, if not more so than the FDR's New Deal. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, as to communicate the benefits of it. Um, thinking for a minute about the party, the Democratic Party as a whole, it, I think it'll be really important that it's not just members of Congress or President Biden, Vice President Harris, but um, local officials, governors and mayors who really can feel and touch the, the improvements that will come. And it'll, if, if we can manage to be coordinated as a party, it'll be really important to have those folks continually talking to their communities about it. Let's face it, the states and localities have an enormous role to play here now. You know, the work on the federal level will go on at DOT, but they're going to have to do their best to rely on, to whatever extent they can, the states and localities. And uh, I think Jen had an example conversation we had this past week with somebody at DOT who uh, had some questions about certain on certain types of projects, uh, whether the states or some states are overwhelmed. Uh, you know, they've already have received or are receiving a lot of money mm -hmm. and are stretched in how to handle that, how to spend it, what the, the programs are. This is going to this is going to actually expand upon that, given the amount of money we're talking about. So um, they're not going to be able to presume. That's for sure. They're, they're going to have to work it and get the cooperation of governors and mayors, city managers, et cetera. That's why this current nationwide tour upon which President Biden is embarking to not sell, but to educate, as Andy said, to educate mm -hmm. the American people across mm -hmm. this country uh, in red states, blue states, purple states, whatever states. Uh, it's important that he get out there and uh, do that education process and involve local officials in every one of these meetings that he holds, uh, regardless of the political persuasions of those individuals or what they uh, from whence they come, uh, because they are the ones, as John has said, that's going to be very responsible for implementing this program. And all it's going to take 
is one little bad apple somewhere that somebody's going to find where there was misspent dollars mm-hmm. and there's going to be enough people want to j- jump on that and say, yeah. look, we told you so you're misusing our money. Uh, and yeah. uh, that, that could set us back. So it has to be, the program has to be scrubbed. It has to be implemented correctly. Uh, and it has to have proper oversight from within the agencies, in my opinion. So, Nick, to that point, uh, based on your history experience, do you think that there will be, uh, at least in 22, I mean, do you think that Peter DeFazio and others will have somewhere mid-year or something oversight hearings or to yes. uh, look at it? Yeah. Yes, I think they will. Uh, as soon as the first monies are spent, perhaps, uh, there's going to be something set up in the way of oversight, uh, again, to assure that the money is spent effectively and efficiently and that we get the biggest bang for the buck. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, like I said, just a few misspent dollars. Yeah. And, uh, ooh, it's going to be ugly. There's enough people out there waiting to jump on that. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, you know, we keep going back to this of, you know, the misspent dollars and justifying this and making sure people understand the impact and see that. Do you think it's because this is just like, again, not similar to other reauthorizations where we got this perfect storm, where this was always President Biden's agenda when he was candidate. It's just that now it's been met with the pandemic and COVID where, you know, 2020 spring, we were just trying to get money out as quickly as possible to the effect industries, to the cities and the towns, to the states, so that they could deal with testing and trying to address this and help folks who were unemployed and and businesses that needed the money to kind of keep open and bring back employees. And now, unfortunately, in a lot of SBA, we're seeing some some concerns with fraud or um, misrepresentation and misuse of funds, whether it be for PPP loans or um, other other types of avenues. Do you feel like that coupled with all this other money that's coming out that truly was separate from that? And this isn't a result or a response to the pandemic, but instead saying, we still have a backlog of infrastructure. We still have all this to do. It's just very, very hard for the American people to kind of separate um, the two. It just feels like we're spending a lot of money and taking a lot of things and overwhelming the states. It certainly wasn't the case. I have to imagine that you, well, you definitely didn't have a pandemic the last couple of reauthorizations. So. No, 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 and you didn't have the scrutiny that Andy referenced in his uh, opening comments that you have today. You didn't have the social media jumping on every word that every uh, person in Washington said. And then uh, the counter statements covered like they are. Uh, and the back and forth in the public arena uh, mm-hmm. and the bitterness that exists, uh, even within the Democratic Party. Uh, you didn't have all that in the past, uh, but you, you got it today and it's a whole different ballgame. I was just going to say to uh, to Nick's point about the president and the cabinet touting this. I mean, that's something, that, and this is not long ago, this, that's something that the Obama administration did not do when we passed ARA after the crash of 08. And I mean, ARA passed and money went out, albeit not exactly the way some of us would have preferred, but uh, they really did not kind of get around the country and promote uh, what had happened on the federal level. And, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, a lot of folks just didn't realize 
where this largesse was coming from. And, and you know, many of the governors sort of took charge themselves and it wasn't coming from state legislatures. So, um, so I think that uh, the Biden folks learned by that uh, very much so. And, and now are, are going this other course, national course on their own. So, uh, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and you have to get into local news coverage in order to sell this, because at the national level, what's most interesting are the conflicts or the complaints at the local level. And it's always been a challenge. I mean, I could say I worked on a Senate race in New Jersey 17 years ago, um, if I'm doing the math right. No, 27 years ago. I can't do math. Um, (laughs) Sorry, 1994. And it was for a senator, Frank Lautenberg, who was prodigious about securing funds for his home state of New Jersey. And yet when when we had the campaign pollsters go out and talk to people, it wasn't always connected. The, you know, the bridge down the street that got built last year wasn't easily connected in people's thoughts with the senator or with right. Washington. Right. It was done at the local level. It, it, they loved, they appreciated it. They liked it, but they didn't connect it to him. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of repetition. I mean, I was saying to Jen earlier, and this is more about politics in general than, than the infrastructure program, but I think the dynamic that doesn't get talked about a whole lot is that over the past 30 years, they have there has been a commercial base that is self-interested in supporting Republican ideas, media outlets from the Washington Examiner to Fox News to Breitbart or the Daily Caller, you go down the list, there are hundreds of them. And it helps to spread a message. And that simply doesn't exist on the Democratic side. Right. Um, you know, it, it. so when people talk about, you know, the Democrats have to get their messaging in order and, and that there's a whole lot of extra assist that comes, that, that, that turbocharges the messaging on one side of the aisle that simply doesn't exist on the other side of the aisle. And that's why I I do. I think it really has to go down to a much more local level where people can see and feel and touch these improvements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with all the huge amounts of money being spent, even as we speak in a non-election year on the media in the form of advertisements supporting Build Back Better America, uh, supporting the infrastructure bill. There was a massive amount of money by who knows what groups uh, that went into spending. Now that has to be rechanneled into showing uh, the positive benefits of this legislation. Uh, and it has to be uh, put out there in the same forceful manner it was to secure the votes, to secure the support of the grassroots Americans for this legislation, therefore call and write your congressman. Uh, it has to be that same type of uh, expenditure of monies by these outside groups. Uh, they spent to get it passed. Now mm-hmm. it's spent to uh, spend again to support it. Right. So it's, it's a really important point that people don't ever make, to be honest. I don't hear people say that, but you're right. The minute it passes, a lot of those interest groups, they move on to the next issue. Get up. Done. Right. Thank you. All yeah. set. Well, it's not all set yet. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. 
hmm. long-standing supporters of spending on infrastructure, uh, right? Even with yeah. uh, Donnie re retiring. Uh, no sooner this thing passes Friday night, they're on to criticizing reconciliation. Right. Mm -hmm. hey, yep. Take a breath, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly right, John. You know? That's a, a, a great segue into the timeline between now and the end of the year, which isn't much. Um, so obviously the bill was passed by the House. It had already been passed by the Senate in August. I still think at this moment, we're still waiting for President Biden to sign the bill. So if we could quickly speed that up, that would be great. Um, and now next, we're on- Next week, Jen, next, next week. week. He's, waiting, <laughs> he's waiting for everybody to come back to DC. Yeah. He has hundreds of requests at the White House to attend the signing, just to give you some idea of what's going on here. Okay. In this day and age, I'm fine with virtual, but <laughs> but I understand that. And certainly he does deserve the, the big splash. So they are out this week. They are, like you said, traveling uh, for various um, you know meetings and presentations and promoting this. The House and Senate are back uh, next week, which is um, the week right before uh, Thanksgiving. And then the week of Thanksgiving, they'll be back in their district. So we are expecting, fingers crossed, a favorable CBO score, which we know how those could go either way. And then if I was a betting woman, would say by the end of the week of the 15th that we would see the House voting on this package and sending it to the Senate. Week of Thanksgiving's out, so maybe we're looking at the week of November 29th, first week of December, the first time that we're going to maybe start to see some procedural moving by the Senate to vote on this, but a lot can happen outside of the chambers, in social media, in press conferences leading into that. I know, uh, Congressman, you shared that you had recently uh, met up with your dear friend, Senator Manchin. I'm not sure if you have any insight, <laughs> the million dollar question or the or the trillion dollar question um, as to, you know, you know, does he want to really get this done? Is it going to happen? Nick, Nick, first, this is just amongst the four of us, so say yeah, whatever you have to say, all right? <laughs> well, your time frame uh, is very optimistic, Jen. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Speaker Pelosi has to bring it before the House. I, I think she's made that, uh, those, again, agreements <laughs> yeah. uh, with uh, her fellow caucuses in the House. Uh, you know, uh, Senator, Man uh, rather Speaker Pelosi, brought the bill for a vote last Friday night. In my opinion, uh, because she had had several conversations with Senator Manchin uh, in the days leading up to that House vote, uh, if she did not, my gut tells me, if she did not have some indication, some minute indication, that in the end after all said and done, that Senator Manchin is going to be there mm -hmm. for the BBB mm -hmm. in the Senate. Uh, and, and he's not hiding his cards. I mean, as he has said, he has told the White House where he is, has told Senator Schumer, uh, he's not playing a little cat and mouse game about this. Uh, in my gut, I have a feeling he's fed up with the progressives, quite honestly. And... Uh, threw the gauntlet down, so to speak, and telling them in no uncertain terms, you bring up that infrastructure, but you allow it to come up in the house and pass it, or I ain't going to be there 
in the end. Uh, that my gut tells me that I have nothing to base that on. Nothing uh, that he has said, or uh, uh, except that his said uh, he wants to be there mm-hmm. in the end. He was there in the end on infrastructure. He was there on the end in CARES uh, Act. He was there in the end in a lot of pieces of legislation. That in the beginning, he had legitimate concerns, uh, and he needed his rope with which to run for a while. And Schumer and Biden gave him that rope. Okay, go out, do your thing. You know, uh, yell and scream. You're concerned about this. You're concerned about that. Fine, fine, fine. But in the end, (laughs) in the end, and we'll address a lot of your concerns while you're out there running your rope. But in the end, uh, we need you. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he give that definite commitment? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But enough indications and hints and body language that only one-on-one meetings can tell. And I'm sure he's had those one-on-one meetings with the speaker, with Schumer, with the president, certainly many times. Matter of fact, when I was with him at the Greenbrier, when it was, I made the joke, I said, this was when the president was abroad meeting with the uh, Pope. I said, uh, uh, Senator, did uh, the president have Pope Francis call you? <laughs> and he said, no, but he would have if he could have. <laughs> no, it's, it's a fact. Your, your, your point, though, is fascinating. And I assume you're right because you've been there. But also because you're right, Speaker Pelosi doesn't usually leave herself exposed. And forcing this to a vote Friday night without any without any idea of what would happen afterward um, would be surprising. I think it's interesting, too, uh, to follow on that idea that I know it's inside baseball. But after all, after the House voted for the infrastructure bill, it didn't go home immediately. It stayed for a couple of procedural votes right. that essentially you could speak to this more eloquently than I could, I think, but that essentially tee up the next package, the next mm-hmm. legislative vehicle so mm-hmm. that they have already taken votes about the rule about right. how it will be debated. And it's kind of ready to, <laughs> ready to be brought to the floor whenever it's time to bring it to the floor. Right. I mean, is that, and I, I mean, obviously she, that those were, those were important steps internally, I think, because it gave the progressives some sort of uh, reason to, to believe, right, that we're already moving forward on this. But again, to your point, it, it, it also helps move the pieces on the chessboard to a point where it kind of makes bringing the larger bill to the floor inevitable. Yes. Well, I think we saw that a bit, too, on Friday. I mean, on Friday, I wasn't, you know, working on the infrastructure bill. That was done, right? We were we were kind of texting and emailing back and forth with staff. I know, John, you had heard from folks specific to Build Back Better as far as shoring up some technical issues or things that needed to be addressed in the most recent draft, which had come out uh, November 3rd. So that's what was being talked about on Friday, to your point, Andy, was to get that bill ready. And as far as from my correspondence so far this week, and it's, you know, only halfway through the week, that... The bill's cooked, right? It's baked. It's completely done. There's very unlikely to be any major 
substantive changes and, and how it is right now is what is, is going to be teed up to, to be brought up to be voted on um, by the House. But I and guess. It was, and, it was, and it was funny to me because I happened to, to actually watch the final vote Friday night. And why I say funny is because if you watch it on cable news, there was like drama. And I'm thinking to myself, Speaker Pelosi knows what the what the final vote count's going to be. She didn't bring this to the floor to a vote, not knowing what the numbers were. You know, people know how to count and her whips know how to count. And they, they, you're right. They, 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 my guess is within the speaker's office, there wasn't a whole lot of drama to Friday night. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, maybe they didn't know the number of Republican members who would cross over mm -hmm. and vote for it. Maybe they didn't have a hard count on that. But I'm guessing they had a hard count. I mean, there was a lot made of a handful of the progressive members, including the squad, so-called, voting against it at the end of the day and what that meant. And I'm, you know, same thing. I'm, I'm sitting there watching it, thinking to myself, well, they already know they didn't need their votes. Right. So right. I'm sure there were conversations with leadership where a member said, I, I would hope, listen, I'm going to vote no on this for these reasons but you know you're okay and you you will have a majority vote, right? And got the high sign and went forward. It wasn't, I, I, I would be shocked if anybody was shocked in the speaker's office about those no votes from Democrats. Mm -hmm. I'm with Andy. I mean, she knew exactly the number. Well, and it's kind of like, and it's kind of like Nick, it's kind of as you were talking about, about Senator Manchin and, and Senator Schumer and President Biden being long experienced at this at, at these matters and allowing Mansion to just move at his pace, yeah, what he needed to do, what he felt he needed to do, you know, okay. Look at his home state, right, right. He is playing very well back home. Mm -hmm. Go, Joe. Tell his progressives where to go. That's what he's hearing back here at home. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, Nick, to that point too, what you were saying earlier. He, uh, with all the meetings and discussions that Pelosi's had, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Senator Manchin met with the, privately, with the head of the House Democratic Progressive Caucus. Uh, mm -hmm. Early, at, well, in October, I guess. I don't want to say what date, but he did. I know for a fact he met with her. Uh, she's super intelligent. Uh, yes, very progressive, but super intelligent and, and, and pragmatic, more pragmatic than people I think think or understand. And, you know, she came away from discussion with him, infinitely better informed about West Virginia, about what he has to look at, how difficult some of these issues are. Uh, and, and I guess he came away with, well, she's a lot more pragmatic than I would have thought going into the conversation. I think that probably was one of the turning points in all of this, that once they get together alone, privately, had those conversations, okay, maybe we can do some business together. Maybe we can figure this out. And of course, you know, with the speaker pressing it, <laughs> among other people, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that was helpful. Uh, and, and to your point uh, about Schumer slash the president, I mean, having hands off for a while and just letting that take its course was extremely productive. So, so I'm guessing, and we're all guessing, I suppose, but I think that, you know, uh, Senator Manchin probably is there. It's just a question of, we don't know what that is publicly yet, what, what the agreement is. 
but uh, this we're not done. sure it's this year. This year either. No, we're not, which was kind of challenging. But I mean, it'd be better for the party and for the president, obviously, if if it was done, I, even if it was December eighteenth. You know, just if you think you're going to vote for it, the end of January, you might as well just vote for it in the middle of December. Anyway, we'll see. But I want to just make the point that they they did meet, they did talk, and came out of it pretty good. Oh, Senator Manchin, like I said earlier, has been very open about this. Uh, he's not hiding his cards. He's not, uh, you know, his answer. He does press conferences. He's even calls them him himself. Uh, <laughs> he'll meet with anybody and everybody, anytime yep. and anywhere. Uh, he's certainly demonstrated that, unlike uh, his counterpart from Arizona, who often appears to be hiding. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Senator Manchin's not been hiding at all. <laughs> Quite no. the opposite. No, no. Overt, overt. Well, it turns out he had a memo on the things that he wanted to see changed that he shared in July, right? Exactly. So he's, been, he's been on this from the beginning. So um, this has been really insightful. To wrap it up, just a couple of predictions on schedules. So do we think that Build Back Better will happen before the end of the year? No. John? Yes. Andy? defer to these two gentlemen I, <laughs> I it's a roll of the dice I think. <laughs> it'll be look it'll be hard because you know members travel for thanksgiving and the holidays are coming up in december it i, I just don't know i just don't know i I'm, all right I'm so we sure. have a we have okay. a we have a yes for december a no for december and then we have whatever andy's answer is <laughs> i yeah i i mean non-committal my heart says yes, but my head keeps thinking, here are all the complications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are. Yeah. There are. I think the Senate will get it done and they'll be back in our fearless Speaker Pelosi's hands to, to deliver it. And I think she's got a, a few more tricks up her sleeve. So I will say yes, it'll get done by December. Debt ceiling. Do we get this done in a bipartisan manner in time? Yes or no? Mm. Yes. Yeah, it'll be it'll it'll look like a high wire act again because everybody needs to play their roles in this sort of kabuki theater. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Wow. OK, I agree with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that, you know, we need to talk about is December 3rd, right? A very clear deadline, not only for we think um, the debt ceiling, but obviously we did a continuing resolution in September to address um, the need to to fund the government. So we still have to address FY22 appropriations. Obviously, there are a number of uh, member congressionally directed funding requests, formerly known as earmarks, included by both Republicans and Democrats. Certainly a number of organizations are really looking for those funds to, to be coming out sooner rather than later. So do we think that they will get done in an an omnibus package by the end of the year, or are we going to have to do a, a further CR into next year and then mm. take up a probes? Mm. I'm a little in the dark on this one, except just to go by previous mm -hmm. scenarios in which it's kicked down the road again, the can's kicked down the road again. I, I'm with I'm with Nick. I, I don't I'm not convinced that it's doable. You know. Uh, I know it's in many of the bills, the appropriations bills. So, okay, I'm impressed. But 
they've not struck the top line with the Senate. And Senator Leahy has tried and tried and tried and tried. And um, and as I, I say, you know, Senator Shelby's been fully engaged for his own purposes. But that's not an agreement. I mean, I don't know how you quite put all those bills into an omnibus if you don't have a top line agreement. So until until I hear that, I, I'd say now they're probably going to have to do a, um, I don't know, what do you think, Nick, a 60-day CR or something? Get them out to February? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And they could still do an omnibus then. I mean, there's no, you know. What do you think, Andy? Are you are you on the fence on that one? No. No, I think that's absolutely right. The, 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 congr- uh, continuing resolutions have become just so commonplace over the past 15, 20 years that yeah. I don't see any reason why it'll be different. No. I'm going to say the continuing resolution from December 3rd, and we still get it done in an omnibus package before the end of the year. Wow, a really, really short term <laughs> CR. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm impressed. Keep the pressure on. Yeah, keep yeah. the pressure yeah. on them. I mean, really, we know the staff's working on it, right? And they're motivated to wrap it up. So uh, if they can just kind of get all the members there, we'll see. Well, again, this has been very enlightening. We have some predictions we'll have to follow up on, and we'll certainly hopefully do this again soon. Well, hopefully, one of these days, maybe we could all actually be in the same studio. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. That would be, that would be great. That would be great. That would so, be great. 